Hey guys, it's Josh Gunter. Thanks for joining us in another episode of the Gathering Springfield podcast. This season we've been talking about the glorious return of Jesus Christ. Today's episode is part three of the teachings from the apostles as we dive into the scriptures to see what the apostles taught the early church about the last days and the return of Jesus. Remember, the return of Christ is such a vital part of the gospel story and the redemptive narrative of scripture. So let's ask God right now to give us ears to hear what the Spirit has to say to the church through the Scriptures. Let's get started. Hey everybody, thanks for joining us. This is already the 11th episode in our church podcast. If you're joining us for the first time, I want to really encourage you to go back to the beginning of season one. Each episode builds on the other. We've been talking about eschatology, the glorious return of Jesus Christ, the study of last things or last events. We really believe it's important as you study eschatology or as you study the last days, the return of Christ and what that's going to look like, always start with Jesus. At the beginning of season one, we started to walk through the Gospels and we hit on the scriptures where Jesus specifically talked about his return and what that day was going to look like and the events leading up to it. He even gave us information of the generation that's going to be present when he returns. And so that's a great place to start because Jesus gives some specific details, some black and white details, very easy to understand, very easy to comprehend about the last days and his return. And after we have an understanding of what he says and we move on to what the apostles had to say, which that's what we're doing today, we're on part three in our study of the teachings of the apostles as we talk about what the apostles taught the early church about the return of Christ and the days leading up to it. And after we have a good understanding of what they said and we can comprehend the message of of Jesus, the message of the apostles, then we have the framework that's needed as we enter into the book of Revelation. I like to explain it like this. Whenever you're putting together a large puzzle, like a thousand piece puzzle, you always start with the framework because it's simple, it's basic, and once you have that outline, you have the pieces that are easier to put together then you can work from there, start putting together the pieces that are a little bit harder to to see and to place. Christ, his teachings on his return, and what the apostles taught the early church is like that framework. They give us the information and the revelation that helps us decipher and understand the book of Revelation. Too many people start in the book of Revelation and they try to form their eschatology just by that book alone. The book of Revelation is beautiful and it's great and there's so much in there that we can gain from and so much revelation. There's so many details about the last days, but that being said, it can be pretty confusing if you neglect what Christ and his apostles said. Not only that, we're going to read a little bit later today, the apostle Peter tells us not to neglect what the prophets said. So even the Old Testament prophets had have some pretty specific and important details about the day of the Lord. And whenever we place all these scriptures together, we have this beautiful picture of the redemptive narrative of mankind, how God is redeeming his people throughout history and what he's going to accomplish on the day of the Lord when Christ returns. So in today's episode, we're finishing up the teachings from the apostles in regards to the return of Christ in the last days in that generation. And then next week, 
I'm very excited because we're going to finally open the book of Revelation. And God promises us that he will give a blessing to those who read the book of Revelation, who understand the book, and who agree with it. Uh, But today we're going to finish up the teachings from the apostles. We're going to start in 1 Timothy chapter 4, and then we're going to move on to 2 Timothy, and then the final scripture that we're going to walk through is 2 Peter chapter 3. A quick recap of the past couple episodes. In Acts chapter 1, the angels tell the disciples that Jesus is coming back on the clouds in the same manner in which he left. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul gives us some great details about the resurrection. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he continues to talk about the resurrection and the judgment seat of Christ. That's what we talked about in part 1 of the teachings from the apostles. And then last week in part 2, we walked through 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 5, where the apostle Paul speaks about the rapture and the need for us to be prepared for that day, and what the world's going to look like, and how there's going to be a false sense of peace and security for the wicked in that day. And then in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and 2, Paul talks about the judgment of Christ, how there's going to be a rebellion in the last days, right before Christ comes back. He speaks about the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, and this great deception that's going to be on the earth. And during this deception, the need for us as believers to stand firm. And we really see everything that the apostles taught, a reflection of what Christ taught whenever he was on earth as we read through the Gospels. All right, so we'll go ahead and get started with 1 Timothy chapter 4. Remember, this is a vital part of the Gospel. So let's give ourselves to it and let's be good students of the Word and search the Scriptures diligently so that the Scriptures can form our eschatology, so that the Scriptures can form what we believe the last days and the return of Christ is going to look like. So here we go, 1 Timothy chapter 4. I'm just going to read a couple verses because really in this passage we don't get a lot of details, but I want to just pull something out here and highlight something that Paul said to his spiritual son Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, 1 through 3, he says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons to the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believed and know the truth. There's not a lot of eschatology here in this passage, but Paul does warn Timothy that in latter times, some are going to depart from the faith. And I believe that's an echo of what Jesus says in Matthew 24, whenever he warns his disciples that in the last days, that persecution is going to come, that his followers are going to be hated by all nations, and that they're going to be in a horrible time of tribulation. He says there's going to be a great falling away. So in the last days, there's going to be this falling away. Remember last week, Paul's talking talked about this to the Thessalonian church. He says there's going to be a great rebellion before Christ returns. This would kind of go against what some believe that the world's going to get better and better and better and before Christ returns the whole world's going to be Christianized. Paul had a very different message whenever he was speaking about the last days and the return of Christ. The early church, the apostles and the first century church, they didn't believe that the whole world was going to be Christianized. Now, they had the mission to spread the gospel, to preach to the lost and to disciple the nations, but they also taught and believed that whenever Christ returns, that Christ was going to come and he was going to save them from great trials and tribulation and wicked nations who would be attacking them. It's really important to study what the early church taught and what they said. In 1 Timothy here in chapter 
chapter 4, Paul just real briefly speaks to his spiritual son, Timothy. He tells his spiritual son that in the last days, in the latter times, some are going to depart from the faith, and they're going to listen to liars, and they're going to be deceived, and they're going to deceive others. But you, you continue in the doctrine that you've been taught. And it's there's this warning that the apostle gives his spiritual son. Although many are going to be deceived and they're going to fall into this false gospel, they're going to turn from the truth and wander off into irreverent and silly myths. You follow the doctrine that I gave you. You follow the teaching that the apostles have laid before you. And I would like to suggest that that warning that he gave Timothy, we can actually lean into that and say, you know what? We're going to do the same thing. Although the world's deceived, and there are lies, and there's deception all around us, we're going to lean into the gospel. We're going to lean into the accurate doctrine of Scripture, and we're going to follow the faith that was laid before us by Christ and his apostles. In Paul's second letter to his spiritual son, he addresses this in greater detail. So look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. Starting in verse 1, he says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. That's very black and white. There's not a lot of room for gray. In the last days, there will come times of difficulty. Paul and Jesus both spoke right before he returns. In the very last days, the last stages of human history, there's going to be great difficulty. He says, For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. He goes on to say, Ungrateful unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. He lays down this long list In the last days, there are going to be times of difficulty. And then he says, and here's why. People are going to be lovers of money. They're going to be reckless, swollen with conceit. They're not going to love good. They're going to be brutal. They're going to be without self-control. They're going to be treacherous, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And he lays out that this is what it's going to be like. Now, Timothy was around some 2,000 years ago. And I believe his generation definitely saw people like this. But whenever Paul says that in the last days there's going to be times of difficulty and he lays down this list of what people are going to be like, he wasn't limiting that to Timothy's generation. Through the scripture, the Holy Spirit was speaking through Paul and I believe that he was giving us direction and he was giving us insight of what the last days were going to look like. And you need to know, as we get closer and closer to the day of the Lord, culture and society are going to become more and more wicked. I know that goes against some people's eschatology, and it doesn't necessarily sound positive, but that's what the apostles taught the early church. And if you're still not convinced, go ahead and read down verses 6 through 9. He gives an example of the type of people he's talking about, and he warns us to avoid those types of people. But then in verse 10, he says, But you, Timothy, you have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Now look what he says in verse 12 and verse 13. He says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now I know that sounds like a very blanket statement. 
And there are those who believe in Jesus Christ who are not being persecuted in the way that Paul or Timothy was persecuted. But look what he says in verse 13. While evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Again, he's laying down to his spiritual son, Timothy. This is what the last day is going to look like. He lays down all the evil things that are going to take place. And he says, bad people are going to go from bad to worse. He doesn't say they're going to get better and better and better. He says that the bad people are going to remain bad, but their final state is going to be worse than their beginning. That society and culture are going to be deceived and they're going to go on deceiving. One of the goals of the Antichrist is to deceive the nations. And Paul is warning the church to avoid these people. And in the midst of the deception, you stand firm in the word of God. So he gives direction to the church after he says there's going to be some bad times. There's going to be times of difficulty. People are going to go from bad to worse. And the way that he says to respond to this, he tells Timothy in the last part of chapter 3, he says, you submit to the scriptures. He says that you know the sacred writings from your childhood all the way into adulthood. He says it makes you wise for salvation. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, correction, and training for righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Meaning in the midst of the deception, in the midst of these trials and society going from bad to worse, you submit to the scriptures and the scriptures will correct you. The scriptures will train you and guide you. We see some more details in chapter 4. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Again, this is an eschatology passage. He's talking about the return of Christ and the judgment that's going to take place on that day. In God's presence, who's going to do these things, in the midst of the deception, you preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Verse 3, he says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, you always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. In the midst of this season, people are going to accumulate. They're going to elevate and promote these teachers that are going to say what they want to hear. There's going to be a deception on the earth. But you, you do the work of an evangelist. You fulfill your ministry. Although he's speaking specifically to Timothy, the Holy Spirit is speaking to the church. And in the midst of the deception and the false teaching and culture raising up and elevating and promoting those who are going to preach what they want to hear and teach what they like and allow a type of lifestyle that they want to live, you preach the word and you fulfill the ministry. And that's what we are called to do. Paul wraps up this thought by saying, I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. He's speaking about his death. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Now think about that for a second. Notice the apostle after he says this is what it's going to be like in the last days, wicked people, the bad going from bad to worse, deception, false teachers, people turning to their passions and away from God, wandering off into myths. Then he says, I'm about to die, 
But on that day, he's talking about the day of the Lord. When the Lord returns and he judges the earth, he is going to reward me with a crown of life. And not me only, but to all who have loved his appearing. After reading what Paul already said in the last several episodes in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Corinthians, and then reading what he's saying to Timothy, Paul had an excitement for the resurrection. Paul had a zeal, had a passion about Christ's return and the resurrection. He even called it our glorious hope. He called it the hope. It's the hope of Christianity, the return of our King and the resurrection of our bodies. And on that day, he's going to reward those who have loved his appearing with a crown of life. And I just go ahead and say those who love his appearing are his people. Because the wicked aren't going to love his appearing. The Bible tells us very plainly that whenever he returns, there's going to be a wicked people on the earth and they're going to tremble and hate his appearing. But the righteous are going to love his appearing. And on that day, he is going to reward his people with a crown of life. One of the things that he says through all of this, verse 18, he says, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. That sentence right there kind of summarizes Paul's eschatology. God is going to rescue me from every deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. And I would like to suggest that is what Christ is going to do in the last day. Like Paul was being persecuted, he was imprisoned, he was about to lose his life, and Christ was going to rescue him from that and bring him into his heavenly kingdom. God's people in the last days also are going to be in tribulation, be giving their lives, and he is going to rescue his people. He is going to return. He's going to step out of the clouds, rescue his people, and deliver them safely to the heavenly kingdom, the kingdom of of the Father. Paul wrote this letter to Timothy shortly before being martyred for the gospel. And we can see his passion for the return of Christ and the resurrection of the dead in the writings that he gave to the church. This was the last little teaching from Paul uh, in regards to eschatology. And then we have one more passage in the New Testament before we get to Revelation where the apostles taught about the day of the Lord. And that's in 2 Peter chapter 3. That's where we're going to end today. So this is the apostle Peter. And look what he says to his letter to the church. He says, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you below. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires." Peter says, as he's about to start teaching about the last days and what the generation's going to look like and the return of Christ, he says, remember the predictions of the holy prophets. Although we're not going to do it in our study, after we get through Revelation, I encourage you to go back and read the writings of the prophets in the Old Testament. Every single one of them have some type of detail about the return of Christ or his kingdom that he's going to establish, the restoration and the redemption of Israel. So the Apostle Peter saw it highly valuable and important to go back and look at the prophets, even as a New Testament believer. But he says, he gives some details, he says that first off you need 
need to know this, that in the last days, there are going to be many scoffers. They're going to be scoffing the message of Christ's return, following their own sinful desires. So like Paul says that, in the last days, the bad are going to go from bad to worse, that they're going to deceive, and they're going to be deceived themselves. Peter says that they're going to be following their own sinful desires, which mirrors the message that Paul spoke to Timothy, that they're going to be lovers of self, that they're going to be haters of God, haters of good, that they're going to be disobedient to parents, that they're going to be living this type of life, they're going to be corrupt. Peter says the same thing to the church. In the last days, this is what the generation is going to look like. Here's what they're going to say. Verse 4, where is the promise of his coming? See, they're mocking the message of Christ's return. Saying, you're saying he's coming. Where's the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. One of the increased messages of the last generation is going to be this deception that Jesus isn't coming back. Where are the signs of his coming? You keep saying he's coming back. He's not coming. Many are going to turn away from the faith, fall away from the faith with this idea that Jesus isn't coming back. I might as well do what I want to do. It's what Paul said. If there's no resurrection, we might as well eat and drink, do what we want to do. For today we live and tomorrow we die. He says, but there is a resurrection. And Peter here is saying that Jesus is coming back. But the wicked of that generation will be saying that Jesus isn't coming back. Verse 5, For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. He's talking about Noah's flood, how it was destroyed. That generation was destroyed with the flood. Remember, Paul says that the return of Christ is going to be like the days of Noah, that the wicked were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until all of a sudden the, the rains fell and the flood came and swept them all away. Yet Noah the righteous was safe and lifted up. Here, Peter is mirroring that message and saying the old generation was judged by the flood and the destruction of the flood. And now he's about to give us some details about the next generation. Verse 7, he says, But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. See, again, Peter is teaching an eschatology passage. He's saying in the last days, God is going to come and he's going to judge and destroy the ungodly. And instead of destroying them with a flood, he's going to destroy them with fire. Verse 8, he says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Sometimes the meaning of this passage is taken out of context. Here Peter says that a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. And some people justify this idea that every time the Bible says a day, it could potentially mean a thousand years. Or every time it says a thousand years, it could potentially mean a day. Peter is simply saying that God is not on our timing structure. He created time for us and God operates outside of time. So a thousand years to us seems like a very long time. And if he says he's coming back soon and a thousand years pass from our perspective, 
oh, that's a long time. But if he comes back a thousand years after he says he's coming back soon to God, it's still soon. That's the point. That's the message Peter is saying here. He's not saying that every time the Bible says there's a day, it has to be a thousand years, and every time there's a thousand years, it could be a day. He's simply saying that God's patience is much greater than our patience. If someone told you, in a thousand years, I'm going to give you a hundred million dollars. You think, I can't wait that long. But if somebody says, tomorrow I'm going to give you a hundred million dollars, you say, okay, I can wait for a day. From God's perspective, waiting for a thousand years is like waiting for a day. In his patience, he's desiring that people would repent and turn to him. Verse 10 says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Now remember, the scripture very plainly says that it's the wicked that it's going to be surprised like a thief breaking in, but the righteous will not be surprised. That day won't surprise the righteous like a thief breaking into the house, but it will surprise the wicked. Some would say that all's going to reach repentance and there isn't going to be any wicked on that day. But that's not what Jesus said. That's not what the Apostle Paul said. That's not what the Apostle Peter said. And so we really don't have the right to believe that. He says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening for the coming of the day of God? Just like Paul, Peter has this enthusiasm for the day of God. He's saying that we're waiting for and we're hastening for the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt away as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Do you see the apostles' excitement for this? Again, this is the hope of Christianity. This is the hope of humanity, the redemption of the earth when Christ steps out and he delivers the new kingdom, the new heavens, the new earth. That's the day that we're looking for. Leading up to that day, there's going to be wickedness and iniquity and evil. There's going to be deception, people being deceived. And Peter's addressing, don't lose your patience. In God's sovereign plan, He is being patient and he's calling those to turn from their sins and to repent. And when he returns, he's going to judge the earth in fire and he is going to destroy the wicked of the earth and he's going to deliver us into the kingdom where righteousness dwells forever and ever. So since these things are going to happen, live in holiness and godliness. He says in verse 14, Therefore, beloved, Since you are awaiting for these things, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Three things that the apostle gives the church direction in. Knowing that the times are going to be hard, that there's going to be wickedness on the earth, but also knowing that Christ is coming and he's going to bless his people and he's going to deliver a holy kingdom and a a new heaven, a new earth where righteousness dwells. Because of that, our responsibility in response to that revelation, I'm going to say that again, our responsibility in response to that revelation What revelation? The revelation that Jesus is coming and he's establishing his kingdom. According to that revelation, our response to that is to be found diligent, without spot or blemish, and at peace. It's what Jesus taught in Matthew 24 and 25 when he returns, that we would be found wise 
and faithful. The Apostle Peter is saying that we should be diligent without spot or blemish, being faithful to what God has called us to do, being faithful to the lifestyle that Jesus laid before us without spot or blemish, not being stained with the sins of the world, being made righteous through the blood of Jesus. And I love the last part. The third one is, and to be at peace. Whenever he says be at peace, that's a big statement after also talking about the wickedness of that day and how the bad's going to go from bad to worse and there's going to be scoffers on that day mocking the return of God. He says, but you, you be at peace. Why can we be at peace? Because we are awaiting for the Prince of Peace to return. It's like when Jesus was on the sea and the storm was raging all around him. He was at peace. He was asleep. His disciples were scared of what was going on. They said, don't you care that we're about to die? And Jesus woke up and he spoke peace in the storm. And sudden peace in a moment came in the midst of the storm. In the midst of this huge storm, Jesus steps out and he speaks peace. He was able to do that because he had peace. And now the Apostle Peter is telling the church in the midst of the scoffing, in the midst of the last days, and all this stuff's going to happen, be at peace because Christ is coming. Be diligent, be without spot or wrinkle, and be at peace. Verse 15, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him. The Apostle Peter looks back and says, pay attention to what the Apostle Paul has to say to you too. He has great revelation about this. So pay attention to what he has to say and count the patience of our Lord Jesus as salvation. Let our perspective be of the prolonging of the day of the Lord as God's grace to be patient to bring salvation for all who would receive it. He ends the letter to the church here by saying, But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. As much as I hate to say it, that's all that we have for today. A quick recap. Paul and Peter both said that in the last days, there's going to be wicked people that are doing horrible things. They're going to be deceived and they're going to be deceiving others. But our responsibility, stay true to the doctrine that has been handed to us by Christ and his apostles to be faithful and wise. And as Peter says, to remain diligent and be found without spot or blemish and at peace. So be encouraged by what the apostle said about the last days and our response in the midst of that generation. He's coming, so let's be diligent, let's be faithful, let's be wise, let's be at peace and longing for that day, the glorious hope of humanity, the return of Christ. Next week, we're going to open the book of Revelation, and that's going to be a great journey as we study verse by verse the revelation that the Father gave Christ to give to His church. What a blessing. If you have any questions or concerns about what I said today, or you want to know more about our ministry, I would love for you to reach out. You can contact me at pastorjgunter at gmail.com. I would love to continue this conversation. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Christ. We thank you for the apostles and the doctrine that has been given to us through their obedience. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would give us ears to hear what you speak to the churches. Give us ears to hear, a mind to comprehend and understand what you're doing in our generation and how the church should walk in wisdom, being faithful to do what you call us to do until you return. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.